This is our fourth lesson in this series called Conform to His Image. And this one's on yielding, one simple word, yielding. But I'm going to, we're going to have to work through the scriptures a little bit to get you to understand what yielding really means. Now, last week we talked about God being good. Remember, God wants to break your soul that your spirit might flow out. But the, and, and in order to trust God when you're going through that breaking process or that painful process of the breaking of our soul is to understand how good God is. When you understand how good He is, you're okay with the pain. You understand that's just His hands pushing you, molding you, forming you, shaping you. And yes, Satan does want to destroy you. And yes, he's very real. And he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good shepherd came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So you don't need to live in fear of the devil, but you need to be very much aware of that he's there because if you're going to walk with God, you're going to go through spiritual warfare. And you need to learn how to win that battle every time, how to fight the devil. You need to learn how to clothe yourself in spiritual armor and with the word of God and faith and praise. You know, you can defeat the enemy. You don't have to live in fear of him, but you will have to fight him. And even though Satan's really bad, God is above that. He's very, very good. And God does allow all things for, his, for our good and His glory. So the goodness of God. Now I want to read a scripture in Jeremiah called, the, I call it the potter's house passage. Because uh, this is dealing with the conforming. How is God conforming us? The best analogy in the Bible about confirmation or formation is a potter shaping a, a, a ball of clay on a potter's wheel. And he pushes it and adds water and pushes. And, and every now and then he, it's messed up. He has to just stop and take it and smush it all back together again and start over. And that's what he was doing with Israel. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now that was written to Israel, but that was God's natural bride. And we're in the new covenant here, we're the spiritual bride. So this is applicable to us. And, and I think that, you know, in Israel's journey, they went in and inherited the land and, and got kings and built cities and built the temple, but then they rebelled and, and idolatry came up in their life. So God had to destroy the city and destroy the temple, and they got carried away into captivity for 70 years. And, and, but then God wasn't done with them. He rebuilt them again. And this is, it really blesses me because I had that mark in my Christian life where I'd gone as far as I could with what I knew and then God just redid me. He just, he just tore it all apart, ripped it all down, and redid things. And uh, so when you've got pain in your life, understand that's the hand of the potter. And more pain and suffering and trials and tribulation and tragedies and torment and terror and all the T words you can think of. When all those things are, it's God shaping you and molding you and making you. And then he puts water on you and refreshes you. When he's got it just perfect, he sticks it in an oven. An oven through the fire. You've got to go through the fire to be purified and sanctified the way God wants you to be. So we're in the hands of the potter. and We're going to trust his gentle hands. 
Because we're going to remember this. It's a great quote by Max Lucado. I've said it several times to you all now. God loves you just the way you are. Don't question that. I'm sure you messed up this week. I'm sure you had some bad thoughts. I'm sure you did some bad stuff. You just can't quite live up to what you should. Let me tell you something. God loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He loves you in your best day and your worst day. He loves you when you mess up. He loves you when you do good. God always loves you, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. See, God's ultimate intention for your life is to be conformed in the image of Christ. We'd start living like Christ. We'd have the mind of Christ. You'd think Christ's thoughts. You'd do Christ's deeds. Well, actually, the life of Christ will live himself through you when you learn to yield to that. So he wants you to be just like Jesus. It's a journey we're on. It's a journey. Rome wasn't built in a day, and you're not going to get changed in a day. It ain't going to all happen overnight. It's from now to the day that I get to meet the Lord, to my last day on this earth. That's the journey. That's my personal journey. You got your own. And we're all being transformed into the image of Christ. I gave you all a kernel of corn a few weeks ago to hold. And I read this verse to you in John 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I'm hoping to close the sermon today with an analogy on how you bring forth fruit. How the Spirit of God in you and through you brings forth this fruit. But that outer shell has got to be broken in order for the life in the middle of the kernel of corn to grow. And this other scripture in John 7 is, is relevant to what we're talking about because it says, Whosoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think King James says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Yesterday I ate something bad, and at 2 o'clock my stomach was a mess and I had to run to my restroom and vomit. That's the worst thing that can happen to me. I mean, that's the nastiest, worst part of life. If you've lived your whole life without vomiting, God bless you. But man, when, oh, and I'm, now that was out of my belly, but that wasn't flowing the living water I'm talking about, all right? So I don't really like the, I don't really like the belly word. It's more the heart word, the interior of your being. Out of, it's actually out of your spirit will flow the spirit of God. And, uh, but your soul's got to get broken first. Remember your body houses it all. When you see me, you just see my body. And this is the house for the spirit and the soul. In fact, my body's just really my earth suit. I'm a, I'm a spiritual being, but I have to wear this earth suit to go through time and do all God wants me to do. And then one day my body's going right back to the ground. So who I really am is, is, my, is inside my body. Because after my body goes down, I'm still alive. When we did Fer, Sister Fern's funeral, it just really wasn't a funeral. It was a homegoing celebration because you knew she was alive. Her body just got put down, but she was alive, and now she's even more alive because she's not limited. Right now, I'm limited in my body. My spirit wants to burst out and save the world, but it's limited in this human body, and I can only do, do so much. And, and, and the new man, the born-again part of me, is the core of me is in my spirit. I mean, I, I was born dead in Adam. Because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their spirit went dark. They had dead spirits, unregenerated spirits. So when we were born in the surf, every little baby born, they got a dead, unregenerated spirit. And the day they give their heart to Jesus, the day they put their faith in Christ, the day they put their trust in what Jesus did for them 2,000 years ago and ask Him to come into their life, then that dead spirit becomes alive. That that unregenerated spirit gets regenerated. It comes to life again. 
And it's perfect because the Holy Spirit and our human spirit are now fused together. And, and that's what He wants to flow out of your life in ministry. But your soul's in the way. The soul's like a hard casing around it. And so all the pain of life is God breaking your soul so your spirit can flow out. That's the picture. Now these two verses prove this really good. Hebrews 10:14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time. Already done it. What offerings are you talking about? Huh? The cross. His offering. By one single offering, he's perfected for all time. That's our spirits. We're already, we're already perfected. By one offering, by one act of faith, I get all of that. The, the moment I receive that into my heart, I, I, that part of me, that spirit's perfected for all time. Can't get any better. Who, though? Those who are being sanctified. <laughs> well, if I'm already perfect, how do I need to be sanctified? Well, that's my soul. Romans 12, 2. And look at 1 Peter 1, 9. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. So when I got saved, my spirit got saved. They got born again. Jesus said, unless you get born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. My spirit had a new birth. And my spirit is justified in right relationship with God. And my soul's actually covered and saved, but it's not sanctified. It's still worldly. It's got all my memory from all the years I've been living, almost 58 years. I got 58 years worth of bad programming. And the lies that Satan put in your head through TV, through radio, through friends, through family, through coworkers, through bogus preachers, all the lies that poured into your soul, you got to fight through all that. So Jesus said... He wants you to renew your mind day by day, that you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God's Word doesn't just give us information, God's Word gives us transformation if we get a revelation of it and apply it to our life. So the reward of trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, I've been saved almost 30 years and I'm better than I was. I'm not where I want to be. But I look back over my shoulder and I see a lot of sanctifying, a lot of breaking. God's done a lot of breaking of my soul, breaking of my will, and a lot of sanctifying of my soul. But God's the only one that can do that. A pig's a pig. You're born a pig, you're going to die a pig. You know, but God alone can change a pig. Amen. So I ain't what I used to be, right? And that's good. But I'm still not yet what I want to be. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pushing on. God didn't bring you this far to let you fail either. He will perfect that which he began in you. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's done a miracle in your life. Well, yield to him and let him finish his miracle. Let him keep doing miracles in your life. Yield. Think of the yield sign. It's everywhere. Since I started studying this, there's more yield signs up than I ever dreamed. There's many, the stop signs are probably number one, but number two is yield signs. Why do you think a stop sign means slow down and crawl through? It's just in you, in it. A man telling you to stop, you look around, no cops, I'll have to stop, no cars, I'll just go through. If they would put a sign up there, Mr. Hudson, would you consider stopping? This is a four-way. Then I would, man, I'd stop, no problem. Yeah, I'll do that. I'd be blessing it, but they're trying to make me stop. you got to stop. So there's just something about easing through. Gives me feeling a little freedom there. You know what I'm talking about? 
These yield signs are just as important as stop signs. If you don't yield, you're gonna, you could die. When you, when you merge onto an interstate, what do you get? Yield sign. And you look in that rearview mirror, sometimes 18 wheelers are right on you and they're not even moving over. Do you get mad at people that don't move over when you're having to yield? Because if they move over, you don't have to stop, you just merge. But, but some of them don't. And I, you don't have any way of communicating with them. If you could just tell that 18-wheeler driver that didn't yield and almost ran you off the road, you'd feel better about yourself. So instead, you murmur under your breath, in your car, just you and, you and God. Are you, really, are you really talking to God that way? Yield. yield. We don't want to yield, but you've got to yield or you'll get hurt. And, and your fleshly inclinations in your soul, your will, your little Pharaoh in your soul does not want to yield. But it's really the whole secret of Christianity. See, this in your soul is that trigger mechanism, the will. And God breaks your will so you'll finally yield. Just yield. Let somebody else go first. Let the car go. You can wait. You got a minute. I can wait. I'm going to yield. Your whole Christian life's about yielding. Now, in Romans 6, we, in King James Version, Paul lays it out this way. He, know, reckon, and yield. Three things you need to know in Romans 6. To know, to reckon, to yield. Know and believe God's Word. Reckon or count it to be so. And then to yield to the Spirit. Now, if you want to go to your Bibles and go with me, I'm in Romans 6 here. We're going to walk through most of the chapter. If not, you can read it right there on the board. I chose to do it in King James because of these three words are consistent. 6, 3 through 10. No. No, you need to know this. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You need to know you're baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, no more death, no more death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. You need to know this. You need to believe this. All right, so let's do a hypothetical situation. Let's say I die today. And my wife's mourning. Various ones, y'all calling her, consoling her. The kids are getting anxious about what the wheels are going to say, who gets what. You know, they think about all that. She reaches out to the, the mannequins, reach out to her and say, Steve agrees to preach my funeral. They have a visitation. People come by and cry. And look, if there aren't a lot of criers, give a few people 20 bucks and have them come cry. That made me look better, like somebody really missed me there. That'd be, that'd make me feel better. But anyway, so we do the visitation, and the next day I have a big funeral service at Return Church. And uh, the worship team singing, it's dynamite. I mean dynamite. And uh, several of y'all come say nice things about me. You kind of get together, make sure you got something nice to say about me. If you don't really have anything to say nice, Tell Liz you'll pass on it. You'll draw, you won't do it. But Brother Steve gets up and he says all these lovely things about me. And then, then Dan and Angie get up and sing Beulah Land. And man, Beulah Land is just, oh, man, we're ready to soar now. We're excited. 
And then what if, all of a sudden, I raised up out of that casket, and I put my leg over, and I got out here with y'all, and I said, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm risen from the dead. I, do you see that? Are you kidding me, man? I am alive. You know what y'all would do? Y'all would jump up with me. You'd say, are you kidding me? This is the greatest thing in the world. We're alive. Word would spread through the community. Before the setting of the sun, every church in town would have heard about what happened over Return Church. This is what happened the day you guys saved. You just didn't know it. Your old man was crucified with him. Jesus lived the life for you. The, the life of Christ was finished. When he said, it is finished, I've lived the perfect life. Then he died in our place, took our sins upon himself, yelled out, Father, forgive them. He knows not what they do. Final breath, it is finished. He yielded up the ghost. Spirit went to the hands of the Father. His body went to the grave. Three days later, he raised from the dead. He, he rose. He, up from the grave, he rose. The stone was rolled away, but that was for people's sake. He didn't even need to. He's walked through the stone. He rose from the dead. He went to be with the Father and then came back to this earth. Do you understand you got all of that when you got saved? Not only you, you were dead with Him, your old man was crucified with Him, buried with Him, planted with Him. But you were raised, raised. When you came out of the baptismal pool, you were raised from the dead. And now the life of Christ can live inside of you. You just got to learn to release it. You got to learn to get out of the way and allow the life of Christ to flow out of your being. He wants to live the life for you that you can never live. Hebrews 8 and 10 says, I'll write my laws on your heart and your mind. The new covenant's different. I'm going to live inside of you and I'm going to live my life through you. But just Christians need to learn how to get out of the way and let him live. See, my old man is dead. You got to believe. You got to know this. Before you can reckon and before you can yield, you got to know that you're crucified with him. My old man is dead. He's been eradicated. Not just severely damaged. Not just wounded. Not just starved. Not just shrank. Not just wrestled to the ground. He's been eradicated. He is dead. Dead in a doornail dead. Decomposed dead. He's not coming up out of the grave. He is dead. But God gives you a new man. Christ comes in your life and regenerates your spirit. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And now that's alive forevermore. I've been raised from the dead. I got Christ living inside of me. And I'm not talking about just positionally. A lot of people are into positional theology. Oh, he's dead positionally. Or oh, he's dead prophetically. I've had someone, many people tell me that. Prophetically, that means one day he'll be made alive. No, that's your body. Your body's prophetically already glorified, but it's not glorified until the resurrection. Your spirit, beloved one, is in right relationship with God. It's alive. It's raised from the dead. Not positionally, but actually. Your old man is dead, actually. You've got to understand that is not who you are anymore. You are your new man. You should be super excited and super grateful. This is the image that messes up most people. That they got a bifurcated heart or dual nature. If you think you got a dual nature, bifurcated heart, you're wrong. 
You think God just let Jesus come into your heart years ago and then you're actually going to fight with Jesus the rest of your life? Does the Bible tell you to fight with Jesus the rest of your life? No, but religion will. And they use other terms to gloss it over to make you think. But if you think you are your old heart and you fight with Jesus internally the rest of your life, I will guarantee you one thing. You will not live a victorious Christian life. You'll be unhappy. You'll be miserable. You'll be guilty. You'll be condemned. You'll be ashamed. I can't live up to it. I'm never going to measure up. No matter how hard I try, the harder I try, the worse it gets. That's because that is not who you are. You are who Christ says you are. You are who God says you are. You are your new man in Jesus. Now, one of the greatest Bible teachers I ever knew was a man named Chris Swanepoel. He lived with us down in Mississippi for several years. He's my assistant pastor. And man, he could teach the Bible. But he had this philosophy of old heart, new heart, like white dog, black dog. And he said, whichever dog, the black dog represented the old heart, and the white dog represented the new heart. And, I, and they were always fighting. And I said, which one wins? And he said, the one you feed the most. So literally, Christianity thinks, all right, my white dog, I'm going to study my Bible, study my Bible, go to church all I can, I'm going to feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. And then the black dog, I'm not going to feed. So I'm going to turn the TV off and turn the radio off and not be around worldly friends, I'm going to try to starve that dude. You know what happens? He gets madder and fired. You don't eat for a few weeks, see how mad you'll get. And that war just intensifies. Now you got a big fat white dog and a little bitty scrawny, mean, wiry black dog all over him like a wolf. I'm t forget this stuff. But forget old heart, new heart. Forget black dog, white dog. It's a really neat analogy, but it's wrong. It's not scripturally based at all. It's not what we need. We need the truth. My old man is dead. My new man lives in my spirit, forever lives. He's resurrected from the dead. All right, then you get Romans 6, 11, and you get this word reckon. It's a counting word. Brother Steve, well, he may be the only one in the room who really understands the word. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the same way, in the NIV, it says count yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God. Reckon it. Count it. It's a, it's a transaction. It's, 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 it's making it so. It's, it's not just some theory floating in your head, but, but you actually do it. And then I don't see the last verse didn't come up. I'm not sure. Well, I think it's NLT. uses the word consider. So reckon, count, consider. It'd be like this. Let's say my floor was dark, totally dark, and I couldn't see anything underneath me. But someone told me there were some stairs there. I couldn't see them. But they told me, uh, it's in the Bible, there's stairs there. It's dark, and then all of a sudden God says, I want you to walk down the stairs. And I'd say, God, okay, I see it's in my Bible, walk down the stairs, but it's dark. I, I can't do that. And God says, I want you by faith, take the risk, walk down the stairs. So I will lead you. Oh, this is better. So the Holy Spirit comes, grabs my hand. He takes me the first step. It's dark, I can't see. He says, all right, you're at the edge. Take one small step down. And another, and another, and another. Okay, we did it. That's reckoning. It, on, on the top, you, you know it. The Lord tells you about it. You believe it. But reckoning, it means I'm going to act upon it. I'm going to count it to be so. So now I know it, and now I'm going to reckon upon it. What do you got to know and reckon, reckon on? That your old man's dead, and you've been raised with Christ, with the resurrection power of Christ, 
same power raised him from the dead is the same power that lives in you. Now you walk in newness of life, which means Christ in you, the hope of glory, is going to live his life through you once you learn how to get out of the way and let him do so. So you, you know, you reckon, and the third part of this was yield. And if you can't see that, you look in your Bible. This is still Romans 6, right on down the line. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, you should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield. See the word yield? Yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of the flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to the uncleanness, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now, yield your members, servants, yield yourself to him. So literally, what you got going on here is, is knowing and reckoning. You know and believe God's word over what you feel or see. Brother Hudson, I don't feel righteous. Who told you to listen to your feelings? I don't feel holy. Who told you to go by your feelings? You know, go by what God says. He imputed his righteousness onto you. You're already righteous. He imputed his holiness onto you. You're already holy. See, something in man just wants to add to that and try to be holy on his own. No, only God can make you holy. And then reckon or count on it. Act upon what you know by faith. Live through the new identity in Christ. Newness of life or Christ's resurrection life living in me. Learn how to let him live. And how do you do that? By yielding to him. So remember, your soul is kind of bossing everything because that's where the will is. That's where your Pharaoh is. But God's been so merciful, he's allowed a lot of pain in our life to break us. So now it's easier for me while I'm broken just to yield. Every day, all the time, just humble yourself and allow the Spirit of God to flow out. Now look at this verse, 923, Luke 923 in the ESV. And Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you know, see that word daily? In the other Gospels, they don't use the word daily. So usually when I quote this, I quote it without the daily. I'll get in Matthew and quote without the daily. Because daily makes this deal a whole lot worse. See, because your cross, some of y'all think your wife is your cross. Or you, you think your husband is your cross. Or your job and your nasty boss is your cross. Or your health is your cross. No, this is just the sufferings of life. This is just life. Your cross is where your will and God's will meet. Daily. Daily. It will happen every day. God will want you to do something. You won't want to do it. And then you got a choice. You can yield. Take up your cross and do it God's way. Or you can stand up in your pride and do it your way. Daily. This will happen all through the day. You have a shaft through your spirit. That's God's will. Then you have a shaft through your soul. That's your will. That's the Pharaoh. God's will inside of you wants to come out and do what God wants it to do. You, you prevent that when you're trying to boss the show. You're trying to boss your life. You're, Jesus in Gethsemane said, not my will, but thine be done. That should be the cry of our heart every day. Not my will, but thine be done. Show me, Lord God. The cross, where your will and his will meet. Say, God's will is a vertical bar, your will is a horizontal bar. 
That's in the right position. Not my will, but thine be done. I yield to you, Lord. I'm pulling on the interstate, and I see God coming as a big 18-wheeler. <laughs> I'm just going to yield. I'm going to back down and let him have it. You know, go. Y'all follow this? Where does your will and God's will meet? See, our problem is it seems right. Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but it's in the end there is a way of death. Now, we think of that as saying, oh, that's going out in the bars and running around and being wild. That's, you know, that don't even seem right to anybody. <laughs> we're talking about things that seem right. Oh, that seems right. Say we're doing Christian ministry. Well, this seems right. And God said it's ends is a way of death. You got to quit going by what you seems right. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That seems right. We're not talking about something that seems wrong. We all know that's death. We're talking about things that seem right that are actually death. What's the problem? You're out front trying to boss your life doing what you want to do, even if it's in Christian ministry. What he's trying to tell us is yield. Yield. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to God. Yield. Sometimes you've got to yield to your brother just to show God you're yielding to him. God says, my thoughts are not as your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You need to wait and get the mind of God before you, you move forward. Yield. Learn to yield. Learn to yield. Solomon, wisest king ever. Why? Because he was praying. And the Lord said, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon could have asked for riches and glory and fame. But no, he asked, he said, Lord, I don't, I'm like a child. I don't know how to go in or come out. I want you to just grant me understanding and wisdom that I might govern your people. So God says, because of this, Solomon, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that, but I'm also going to make you the richest guy ever. I'm going to bless you amazingly. So early in Solomon's reign, two women each had babies. One of them laid on one of the babies and it died. So that woman wanted the other lady's baby. So they were fighting over the baby. So they brought two women, brought the baby to the king. And they were both saying, this is my baby, this is my baby, this lady's taking my baby. So Solomon just granted this great wisdom by God. He said this, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child, by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall neither be mine or yours, just divide him. Well, the king immediately knew who the mom was. One woman said, nah, just divide it. I'll the other woman, who actually this was her baby, she said, give my baby to her. Just don't hurt my baby. She yielded. She yielded. What did God do? God gave her the baby. Solomon had the wisdom to know who, who was the real mom. She yielded. When Abraham left his home, Ur of Chaldees, God told him to get up and go into the land. I'll show you. He got to... Haran, and he couldn't go any further because his father was there. You know, Abraham wasn't supposed to be pulling all his family with him, but he, he didn't get the full revelation, so he went there and he had to stay. He got halfway, but he couldn't go any farther until his father died. And when his father died, it was time now to get up and go. So then Abraham yielded to God again. It was a great choice for Abraham to leave everything based on a God that had no Bible for this God. He had no understanding who the Lord was. The Lord was just speaking to him. He knew this was God speaking to him. So God had his man of faith. 
the father of faith. So Abraham had to leave everything, got to Haran, stayed in Haran halfway until his father died. Then he got to go the rest of the way. He also took his, his cousin, nephew, Lot. Lot. He should, he should have never brought Lot with him. That was not in God's instructions. Some of us just want to redeem everything as we go. We're going to take it. So this caused Abraham a lot of pain. So him and Lot, they were doing good until they, they, the herds grew and multiplied. And Abraham's cowboys were fighting with Lot's cowboys one day. And uh, Abraham was in the Longhorn business. Lot was in the Angus business. So Abraham, you know, he understood the whole thing a lot better. But anyway... No, that, that came from 1 Bill 3.22. That's not in the Bible. But uh, anyway, they were, the herdsmen were fighting. You know what Abraham could have done? I'm the boss. You came with me. You're riding on my coattail. I'm going to take the well-watered pasture, and you go take the dry pasture. But you know what Abraham did? He yielded. He just yielded. Lot, you take whichever land you want. He gave the nephew his choice. So Lot, what did he choose? The better pasture. Abraham yielded. This kept him in the will of God. I remember there was a time just a few years ago we were involved with a really large worldwide ministry. Lots of money, lots of buildings, lots of people. And the Lord told us to leave. And you know what we did? We just yielded. We just yielded. Well, I'd rather have the small thing that's right in the center of God's will than the big thing out of His will. And uh, all your life, God's going to ask you to yield. And many times it's going to mean giving up something, walking away from something humbling yourself, taking the small thing instead of the large thing. Y'all follow me? And then Abraham, when he went into Hagar, he, he was promised a son. They couldn't have a baby. So him and Sarah thought about it and said, hey, why don't you go into Hagar, our handmaiden here, and she'll give you a baby. And Abraham said, I like that idea. That's a good idea. So he goes and, the, and Hagar has Ishmael. Abraham missed God so bad because he yielded to Sarah and his carnal flesh. He yielded to reason. He yielded to logic. In other words, logic would say, do that. Or reason would say, do that. And Sarah said, do it. And she's put her blessings on it. And I need a boy, so let me go do it. That was not God's plan. That was not God's child. Isaac was the promised son, not Ishmael. And so, see, Abraham got in trouble because he tried to help God. Sometimes y'all just want to help God. And uh, when God's not asking you to do that, you quit help and also we got to learn to wait if abraham could just waited you know i'm programmed to do so bad if god told me today i want you to go climb the highest mountain tomorrow man i get in a plane i fly there right away and i start climbing but if god tells me i want you to wait at the bottom of the mountain until i come back and talk to you again that doesn't register with me in other words tell me give me a big project i'll go do it Tell me to wait for an indefinite amount of time before I get my answer? That runs me crazy. Abraham should have waited. He should have never gone into Hagar. He should have never produced Ishmael. He should have waited on God. You've got to yield to God and not your carnal senses or not your carnal mind or not the Pharaoh in your soul that's trying to boss the whole thing. Learn to yield to God even if it means waiting. And then one day, you see how Abraham, he'd get it wrong one day and get it right the next day, kind of like us. He told him, I want you to offer up your son. He didn't hesitate at all. He got moving. They, they, they got moving and walking up to the mountain. And when he saw the place and he laid his son on the altar, this had to rip everything inside of him into pieces. But he laid that boy on the altar. 
And he drew back his knife, willing to offer him to God. And the angel of the Lord came right then. Abraham, Abraham, don't, don't kill your son. Now I know. Now God's saying, I know, Abraham, how you really feel, how you really believe. I know that you'll yield to me. So yield to God. Just learn to yield. Thinking as I close here, God said in Genesis 1-1, Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed. And the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So here's yielding. You think of a fruit tree. A fruit tree has to yield to get the fruit to come. And I'm closing with this, so don't, don't get nervous on me. We're done. And uh, I wanted to share this with you a few weeks ago, and I didn't have time. But here's a fruit tree, and what it will do is produce the same kind of fruit after its own kind. So if this is an apple tree, it's going to grow apples. Orange tree, it will grow oranges. But our goal, the Bible said, unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And see, if we learn to yield to God, what will happen is we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside with your spirit. And if your soul's broken and you learn to yield, out of your belly will flow, out of your heart will flow living waters. And what's actually going to come out of you is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And it's going to be supernatural. But people do it wrong that aren't yielded. They're still trying to boss their life out of their own soul, out of their intellect, with their personality and their man's understanding and man's intellect. We try to hang fruit on the tree. And it would be like me taking this apple and this grape, and, and I'm going to hang it on here. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Praise the Lord. There we go. And then I've got, see, I want to be gentle to somebody. So I reach in my, my understanding, I reach in my soul, and I go try to help someone. I'm real gentle, and I'm real loving. And I'm, I'm real peaceful about it. So I, I, I go to, I, I get with Brother Ted, who, by the way, needs some volunteers. Any of y'all want to help over in Portland? Even July 4th, we're, we're, we're still feeding the hungry over there. And people are still getting into rehab. And I was there last week, and it's a beautiful thing. And I appreciate Brother Ted doing what he's doing. But there's a great example of ministry. There's so many different ways to minister. You want to minister to the orphans and the widows and the poor and the strangers and the addicts and all the people and the people in prison, these are all wonderful things to do. But do you realize if you're doing this out of your own intellect, what this is like is, all right, I'm going to go to Portland, I'm going to love on somebody. And so I give to them, we feed them, we pray with them. They need 10 bucks, so we go get them some toiletries at Family Dollar or whatever. So that's love. I showed love. I, I did this for them. But when they don't say thank you, and the $10 I give them for toiletries, they actually go and buy dope with it. Then they laugh about it, and, and others say, oh, they're taking advantage of you, Bill. It makes it worse. They're not taking advantage of me. I'm giving. I know they're taking advantage of me. They're not doing this because I'm stupid. I'm doing it because I love people, all right? But if I do all of that, trying to love someone, and then when they reject me and they abuse me or they take advantage of me, if I get hurt or angry, it's because that wasn't the Holy Ghost love. That was my own thing. That was my own soul. Or, or no matter which one of those fruits I'm trying to do, 
And say I lose my cool at some of them. I get so emotional that I just blow up at them. I fuss at them. Or I don't want to give to them ever again. Or are you really angry underneath? That dirtbag just get a job and get cleaned up and get a shower and get on with his life and, and leave us alone. See, you can get, if you just try to help, that's what will happen to your fruit right there. Just, if you just try to help out of your own intellect, out of your soul, you're not going to help anybody. So what happens, all this fruit, we've been doing all this good. We go to small group. We're encouraging other Christians. And then other Christians, oh, they talk bad about you. They gossip about you. They slander you. And you hurt your feelings. You're angry with them. Or you're trying to do a ministry and people are crossing your will. And you get angry. You're upset. And you're mean to people. Why? Because you're doing this all in human effort to try to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And what you've done is you've, you've gone to the grocery store, you've bought fruit, you hung it on the tree. What's going to happen to your fruit? Rot. I mean rot. It's just going to get nasty and it's going to fall to the ground. I don't even know who eats rotten fruit. Do, do certain insects eat rotten fruit? And your ministry's bad and your attitude's bad. And then you say, well, I might as well just give up. I'm not going to help people anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll just quit church. Those people hurt my feelings. A lot of people leave church. It's been proven over one person in the congregation hurting their feelings. Is that a reason to quit? What's happened is your fruit's falling all over the grass, rotting. Now you stink. Now, now your attitude stinks. And Christians don't even want to get around you. Now here's the difference. The difference is, let God break your soul. Broken. And then you yield. the Holy Spirit will tell you, I want, to go, I want you to go help this person. Yield to that. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And then you love on them. You give to them. And they don't say thank you. And they, they turn, stab you behind your back. And you say, thank you, Lord. I was doing it for you, not for them. I got love. I'm ready to go help someone else. Now, see, that ain't your love. That's the Holy Spirit flowing through you. Loving people supernaturally. Loving people being having joy when there's pain all around you. You've got the supernatural joy. That ain't you. That's the Holy Spirit flowing out of you. When you got more to worry about than a man on the moon without a and his and his rocket ship's broken that's supposed to take him back to earth, I would say that's a lot to worry about. You're you're on the moon, you're you get figure out your rocket ship's broke, you got no way to get off the moon. Would you be stressed out? Some of y'all got problems like that, you really do. And in the middle of all that chaos and calamity and confusion and catastrophe, in the middle of all that, you got this peace that passes all understanding just welling up inside of you. See, that's the spirit. You're now broken. You're yielded. You're yielded and the spirit of God's coming out of you. Hallelujah. Don't put fruit on the tree trying to do what God wants you to do. Because you can't do it. Be broken. Praise Him for the breaking. Yield to Him when the time comes and let God minister through you. You got that? Let's stand to our feet and give Him praise for this song. Amen.